45. Looks like Tom Duncan. <laughs> Sounds like. Must be a duck. <laughs> The girls are the best. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? The bunny ears are back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome to another edition of Last Monday Night Podcast. Everybody can hear the marching band music they're playing right now because this is in honor of our guest today. This is the actual Dallas Cowboys fight song, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. All right. Okay. I thought we were going to be friendly today. This is your fight song, Katie Sweeney. No. Look, Bobby, I'm never, I've always claimed to be a very logical Cowboys fan, okay? I am not delusional. I am aware of what they are, and I have been since the day I was born. It's Listen, fine. I mean, the funny thing is, when I heard the song for the first I heard the song for the first time. I was like, hold on. That sounds like the Washington Redskins fight song. <laughs> they stole the song, too. They muscled their way to the NFC East, then they stole oh. our song. I mean, yeah, God. There is. is there no shame in Dallas? Okay, that's enough. <laughs> Look, we know, okay? I don't know how Cowboys fans have gotten this reputation for, like, delusionally thinking every year is our year. Cause like, I don't know a single Cowboys fan who feels like any year is our year. Quite frankly, I like, I don't know anyone who really feels that way. So yeah. you yeah, can, I, my business partner, Brendan has told me I am the worst shit talker because I don't, I'm like, you're right. We are terrible. I'm very aware of that. There is a, do you know Kyle Draper? Do you know Kyle oh, Draper? Yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. So, Kyle. Kyle was predicting all this stuff, and and then at the, at the end, at whatever that I guess it was Green Bay, right? That that Green Bay, yeah, it's yeah. always Green Bay in the first round of the playoffs every year. And Kyle was just so depressed that day, and uh, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have the heart to kick him in the guts like I normally do. But you just got it, yeah. You got to let that lie. That one, yeah, hurt. it's just painful. I I bit, trust me. Look, I'm a Washington Redskins slash Commanders. Commanders, oh the, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like we don't even get that moment of getting hurt. Like, there that's is true. No hurt, that's so. true. We were there, um, and it was painful. It was very painful. My family is also my both. My parents are from Iowa, and so um, I've got a lot of uncles and cousins who are Packer fans, and so oh. that was horrible. Oh As- yeah, they must have laid it on hard. <laughs> and that was not even just a loss. That was like an ass whooping. It was really bad. Yeah, yeah, no, it was terrible. I mean, the game was over after the first quarter. It, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. Awful. So I, I got one more thing here. I just want you to understand this. Let me see if I can play this. See, John's not here, and I'm doing all this stuff, Katie. I'm not. I'm not organized for doing this. Hang on. Let me see here. This is just a special message for you. This okay. is Don Meredith of the Dallas Cowboys. Go Dallas Cowboys. This is. <laughs> We've been ready for a week. We were supposed to be here last. You've been prepared. You've We've been, been prepared very prepared for this. For this. So, guys, if you haven't figured it out, we have Katie Sweeney, the soon-to-be former chairman CEO Association of Independent Mortgage Experts. Today, we are thrilled to have her as she prepares to step into her new role as the CEO of the Broker Action Coalition. Right, Katie? Yep, that's right. right. That is that's right. A, that's a pretty huge resume, buddy. I mean, you're, I knew we talked about this last time you were here. Like, your resume at that time, you were like the youngest CEO I had on the show now. Yep. Now you're like just taking these giant steps forward. It's crazy, Katie. It's been really fun. And I think it's been a really good, like, look, the last time I joined you, I literally just stepped into the role at AIM and it mm-hmm. was um, 
a little tumultuous back then, right? I mean, yeah. anybody that's familiar with AIM is familiar with the evolution and how it all came to be. And that, you know, back in the middle of 2020 and then rolling into 2021, there was so much unknown just in the world. And then you boiled it down to our little world and it was even more chaotic there than I feel like it was out in the open. Um, but it's been a really good chance the last few years, one, to just like, renew my commitment to the community that we have, right? I mean, I love, I worked with you previously in retail spaces, consumer direct. I've worked in all different channels. I love mortgage brokers. I really do. There's a tenacity in this channel that I just, I haven't experienced myself in other areas, not to say it doesn't exist, but it hasn't been my experience when working with other channels. Um, and there's the, a real like commitment to the people that they serve. And I love that. i it's been a good chance to get to grow through the last few years and see how the industry's evolved and changed. Also see how our association has evolved and changed and what that looks like. Um, you know, bigger group means I mean, more challenges, but it's been fun. The way I look at it is I think you should maybe take over the Dallas Cowboys based on your success. I agree. Maybe they'll have me. I am very, I'm available. If you want, I think I'd work really well with Charlotte and Steven. Like I'm in, I can be an honorary Jones. Child. It was interesting because I w- I did listen to our our interview from I think it was three years ago. Yeah. And we just stepped in the role. Yeah. And that morning, um, your quarterback Dak Dak Prescott is that his name? Yeah. Just gotten that huge offer. That huge contract, yeah. Right? And, and uh, we talked about that for five ten minutes. Uh huh. And then I was like, and now we get to talk about them getting beat by the right. <laughs> Not even. It was an ass whoop. Trust me, I know ass whoops. Being a Washington Commanders fan is I know an ass whoop when I see one. But yeah. can you tell me like this transition from AIM to back? Is it back or do I say BAC? How do I say that? Back. Yeah, back. Yep. So it, what is that what does that actually do for, for both organizations as you transition? How I mean how, what is, how are the organizations affected by that? Yeah, I think so I felt really strongly, and I don't know if I mentioned this with you three years ago, but I have said publicly a lot that I feel like associations need, you need leadership turnover somewhat consistently to make sure that you stay connected to the pulse of what membership really is looking for. And mm-hmm. that's always been important to me. I've never felt like, I mean, when I took the job, I thought it was going to be for a year. Like my original contract with AIM was a one-year contract, and now it's been three and a half, right? Mm -hmm. Since I stepped into the role. Um, But I've always felt like it was necessary. Last year really got to a point where I thought I've built what I can build for AIM. Um, I am very aware and no one is going to say things about me that I haven't thought about myself. I'm very, very self-aware. I know that I'm not an originator. I know that I never have been. I know I'm not a mortgage broker. And I think there are cycles for association leadership that are very beneficial if you are one of the members rising up and leading. And then I think there are cycles that are really necessary to have an outside perspective come in and put the train back on the tracks. And that was my job. My job was to make sure we had this great idea in this bubbling community and it needed to stabilize. We needed to build something that was sustainable going forward and hopefully create a reputation that people want to commit to and want to give their time and give their resources and their energy into making other people better. And those three things were my top priority. We stabilized in the first year. We started building sustainable processes immediately. We created efficiencies. Um, You know, I don't know that people often realize 
65,000 members, a hundred and something partners. We only have 17 people on our team. You know, wow. we're not a big company. If you compare the size of our association and the people who are on our payroll to every other association out there, I mean, we're tiny in comparison mm -hmm. for the output that you're seeing. And we've done that because we built things behind the scenes that automate themselves. We have uh, thought processes laid out very clearly so that everyone knows in every situation what to do, where to turn, what path to go down when approached with a scenario. Um, and once that was done, I think we're in a market now, we're in an environment where AIM as a whole is stable. Financially, it's very stable. I'm leaving that in a very good position. We were not financially stable when I stepped into this role. Mm -hmm. um, we're we're leaving a lot of processes in place that hopefully the new leadership team will continue to run and take advantage of. And I think if they do, they'll see that there's a reason it was built this way. We tested and tried all kinds of things before settling on the way that things work right now. Um, and it's time for somebody to lead from a sales perspective. I think like, I think our membership will really benefit from having an experienced originator in place. Um, but it was also really important to me that I not be the person to make that decision. I am, mm have really fallen in love with and have always really cared about advocacy. I've always felt like it was something that was really important. I also feel like there is a big component of advocacy that's missing right now. I think there are associations that do great work to advocate on behalf of their association. I don't think there are any groups out there that are constantly advocating on behalf of home buyers. So um, think, like, the biggest like when you talk about broker advocacy or advocacy for home ownership, right? Yep. What do you think is like one element that that or one one position that you feel really passionate about that is not being really talked about or, or brought to the front line? I think there is. So I'm, I'm I think there's a lot of talk. I just don't think there's a lot of action. Um, and that's where I think the discrepancy exists. Right. We're our industry is very quick to say, yeah, we're not doing enough for black homeowners. We're not doing enough for Hispanic homeowners. But like, who's doing something about it? Who's doing mm -hmm. the research? Who's digging in and saying, I agree, we're not doing enough. Here's the first step. It doesn't feel like as an industry, there are very many people willing to take the first step and not just sit around a table and say, yes, we have a problem. Great. Now we've acknowledged we have a problem, but what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a lot of different ways to approach it. Advocacy for us, for Brendan and I is threefold. We have our legislative vertical that is all about lawmaking, right? State, federal, doesn't matter. It requires an, an act of Congress, state or at, in, in DC. Great. We also have regulators and agencies, right? That we can, don't really need lawmakers involved, but there's still official government bodies that we need to have relationships with and understand where they're going. But then there's also the industry side and mm -hmm. industry advocacy and being able to say, okay, for the mortgage industry as a whole, what do we control that we're not making better that doesn't require third parties to validate our opinion? It doesn't require a third party to come in and regulate or create an official law for us to behave in a certain manner. What can we do ourselves to make this a more um, accessible environment for, for a wider variety of people to get into homes? And that's where mm -hmm. I think our approach in DC from the moment we got there has always been pro-consumer. Everything that we've ever done in DC, everything that we've advocated for, everything that we will advocate for will continue to be pro-consumer. Um, and so while we are the broker action coalition, we represent the wholesale space. I think you'll find that there are going to be a lot of local originators from any channel that are going to be in agreement with all of the work that we're doing oh. and the advocacy we're trying to bring forward. 
Sure. Um, but do you do you feel that? I mean, with the with the divide. I mean, let's let's just talk about this. I mean, let's. Yeah. It's not even on my question, but I'm going to go into it. Right. I don't I don't follow the the rules that much anymore. Anyway, so hey, it's your show. You can do whatever yeah. you want. I mean, yeah, trust me. They, they they say that, but I don't believe that anymore. <laughs> with the divided Congress that we've now kind of, yeah, been kind of have to live with today, especially me being here in D.C. Right, I get to experience it on a regular basis when I'm out and about and, and, and different things, I feel it. Is there a way that you can find a, a, a median for both parties to be able to say, yeah, this is something that we can get behind? Absolutely. And we have everything. Um, our approach has always been very bipartisan and will be. And I think okay. you'll find our public comments have always said, I don't care what your politics are. I don't mm -hmm. care what these members are voting for or not voting for outside of housing policy. Our only consideration when trying to figure out who to work with and how to partner with people is what is their approach to housing policy and what does that mean for financial services? Um, and we've done that, right? I mean, I think the biggest example, we're just trigger leads are obviously a hot topic and have right. been for quite some time. Um, we worked really hard with a couple of different congressional offices at the beginning of the year. There were two different bills that were introduced, one from a Democrat, one from a Republican in the House that immediately made a nonpartisan issue partisan, which was very frustrating to see mm -hmm. basically the same concept where Democrats will only join the Democrat bill, Republicans will only join the Republican bill. But through a lot of extensive conversation, through working with people over the summer, the original sponsor of the Democratic bill has now dropped that bill, joined the Republican bill. We've gotten two other Dems to join the Republican bill as well. And it was introduced in the Senate bipartisan from the start with both a Republican sponsor and a Democrat sponsor from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, it is possible, right? It takes time and it takes understanding and listening to what are the concerns and considerations of each group. Um, and obviously something like housing shouldn't be Democrat or Republican. Right. It should be something everybody's willing yeah. to have a conversation around. Yeah. But your approach and the way that you talk about the issue changes depending on who you're talking to, right? It's we know what people care about. And sometimes I think people don't really understand, like, even if you can get both parties to agree on a, on a, on a topic or, or, or something, it doesn't mean that the bill or is actually going to get enacted into law. Right. So there was a, there was, what was that uh, school house rock? Remember back in the, yeah. yeah. right. I know I'm a lot older than you are, but there used to be like this thing that called I'm a bill. Yep. And there was a song like that. You oh, know I mean? remember the song. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so it's like, it's got to go through all these different subcommittees, committees, gets yep. to the floor, blah, 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 blah. And it could literally sit on someone's desk for like years before it actually gets into law. That's exactly right. Um, I will say with this one, because I think there's a lot of questions around trigger leads in general, there is a real possibility that this gets signed into law before the end of the year. And it okay. is the closest that as an industry we have ever been. Um, we're very aligned with the MBA and with a couple of other associations out there, the, the legislation that's been proposed that everyone is now working towards has full industry support, which matters, right? That makes a big difference because they're now bipartisan in both chambers, in both the House and the Senate. That also makes a big difference. They've been, each of them has been referred to committees. So they're going to go under committee review here very soon. We've offered mm -hmm. full write-ups to different members and staffers to help them understand what the impact looks like and what this means for consumers and how this not just impacting home buyers, but veterans, specifically first time home buyers, um, first generation home buyers, that there's a disparate impact to these groups of people that's even more significant than just 
consumers that are buying houses in general. Um, mm -hmm. And we've been able to work through all of that and really show through statistics, here is what it's doing and here's why it needs to be resolved. Um, and we feel really good about it. I think I don't want to speak on behalf of any of the other groups that are working towards it, but I think the general sense is this is easily the closest we've ever been to getting this done. And there's a good chance that it happens before the end of the year. Yeah. And just in case the audience doesn't know, I mean, trigger leads are basically yes. lead generation that is triggered by a credit pull. Correct. So if I pull a credit report for Katie today, per se, she could get 18 different phone calls from 18 different lenders that she never requested a phone call from. And I did because I bought a house in August <laughs> and I had 2,000 phone calls and text messages in 48 hours. Oh, my God. Oh. Jesus. It yeah. was insane. Absolutely yeah. insane. And what, mean, the other important part of that is that the customer doesn't know it's happening. And I think mm -hmm. that's really where the disconnect is, right? It's one thing to go on LendingTree and know you're putting your information in and saying, yeah, someone's going to call me or I'm going to get reached out, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows what the behavior is going to be. It's different when you're speaking to your loan officer who you trust, and then all of a sudden you get all of these phone calls right. because your personal information was shared and you didn't consent to that happening. And I think that's where we've been able to make more headway with legislators in saying like, you don't go to a doctor and expect them to sell all of your physical health information to other doctors to get right. solicited for medicine. You shouldn't expect to talk to your loan officer about your financial health and expect for that to be sold without you knowing that it's going to happen. Great analogy. Great. I mean, then the reality is, is I know some of my loan officers have been blamed by exactly. their clients. Yeah. Like they'll, they'll call them and say, hey, you, you your company you sold. sold my, yeah, you sold my yeah. data. Yep. And, and that's why I have Yeah. It's like, no, we have nothing to do with it. The, the repositories are the ones behind all that stuff. Exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, look, it's I, I think it's time for all that kind of stuff. Let me ask you another question. How does AIM and BAC continue to work together as partners? Because obviously you being the CEO of, of AIM and now go right, there's a, a relationship that's, that's basically natural and organic. Yeah, there is. And I think that the whole reason we decided it was better to have two separate groups and separate leadership teams is to make sure that the influence of one isn't driving the decision or the behaviors of others. Hmm. And it's important to know that like wholesale and mortgage in general, but in the wholesale industry specifically, there are hundreds of different business models, right? I mean, I know brokers that have one employee. I know brokers that have a thousand employees. I know some that are in one state. I know some that are in 50 states mm -hmm. and everything in the middle. And so when coming up with advocacy and understanding who you represent, you want to make sure you're looking at the channel as a whole and not just the subset of a specific group of members. We absolutely will continue to advocate on behalf of AIM members, and we hope to continue that relationship going forward that we have every intention to. Um, and I think the new leadership team at AIM feels the same way. But we also want to make sure that we're, from our policy perspective, that we are considering the impact to brokers, the impact to lenders in the channel, because if our lending partners go away, there is no wholesale, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you have to have both for the wheel to work, mm -hmm. but also the industry, right? I mean, we want to understand when making change, is there an impact to the mortgage industry as a whole or to a certain set of consumers that isn't being considered? And those considerations are really difficult when you are representing one association and one association only, right? Because your duty is to your members. Um, and so this really allows us to look at holistically what policy makes the most sense. How do we represent home buyers in 
the most effective way possible? How do we consider the impact in all of these different areas that are critical to the industry to continue to run? Um, but also, you know, we just want to, we really want to ensure that our legislative agenda and that our goals stay consumer centric and that we continue advocating on behalf of potential home buyers and that we continue researching how we put action steps in place to make things better. Um, and those are conflicting priorities, right? When you are the CEO of an association, but you're also trying to lead an advocacy mm. group, sometimes those things are in conflict with one another. Um, and each one of those groups deserves the time and attention and respect of having a dedicated leader that is solely focused on the priorities of that group. But you know what um, so, I was thinking when you were going through this is how many loan officers would do actually appreciate the work that goes into this stuff? I mean, I know like, look, right. I was alone. Yeah. Look, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but uh, uh, just a few days ago, I celebrated 30 years in the industry, January 4th. Congratulations. 30 years, right? It's a long time. Yeah. Right? I mean, my, my co-host who, who comes on the show every other time, she, she says, you're basically like a mortgage you just got paid off. I mean, how many loan officers are really cognizant of all the work that goes behind the scene for them to make an earning? I mean, like, it's kind of like mind boggling when you're just going through what you're talking about yeah. and how you're kind of like focused now on this, but it's representing that. And the, this is where it's connected and you know, I mean, all this stuff. And, and the loan officer is just like, I just want to close two loans. <laughs> I just want to close my two loans. I think in our channel, more than you would think, um, are are aware or at least curious about it, right? They want to understand how it all works because they're all small business owners, right? So it's one thing if you work at a company and like you said, you want to come in, close loans, go home, that's your role. Um, in the wholesale space, like even originators who work at brokerages are still kind of their own business most of the time, right? They mm -hmm. run a DBA that's completely separate. A lot of times they have their own PL or they're small businesses that want to understand when the market moves or when the industry changes, how that could potentially impact the business that they own and the people that they employ. Um, so I think there's a, a stronger appetite for it over here than you'll see in other areas of the industry where there are a lot of originators that want to do their work for their consumers and then spend time with their families or do other mm. things, right? They're not concerned about how the industry works as a whole. Um, we were very, when, when I brought Brendan on board to AIM a couple of years ago, we wanted to see, do people even care about advocacy? Because mm. we didn't know the answer, right? I mean, AIM didn't have an advocacy component at the time. As far as broker advocacy was concerned, it was somewhat dormant and had been for quite some time, right? We, there wasn't really a lot of activity. The MBA represented mortgage advocacy. And that was kind of it. There wasn't anything else. And so our members have never really felt represented by the MBA, which makes sense, right? I mean, they represent large lenders. Um, and so we said, all right, well, let's start getting it out there. Let's start going to DC. Let's start having conversations and let's see, are, are our members going to care enough that they're willing to fund it? Because if they're not, then it's probably not somewhere that we want to spend a ton of time, given that we have limited resources and the industry was contracting at the time and we were trying to figure out how to fund everything. Um, and they did. They responded really strongly. Um, specific areas of advocacy, I think, resonate more. Uh, veteran advocacy is a huge component of our, sure. um, our origination base and just the wholesale channel in general. Uh, yeah. The use of VA loans in our space is significantly higher than other areas. And so we had a lot of people that jumped on board really early and did show us that they cared and cared so much that it got to the point this last year that 
I was trying to run both groups and personally did not feel like I was doing that as well as I know that I can, right? When I finally had to sit down and say, okay, it's going to be one or the other. We got to make a commitment. My draw has always been to how do I help the most amount of people? And I think there's a void in, in our space right now for looking at advocacy from this perspective and our originators care about it. Our partners care about it. And they've shown that through their action. I mean, we sent 55,000 letters to Congress last year. That's a lot. I mean, for, for, for a group that is all originators, that is a lot of engagement, right. Relative to what you see in the rest of the industry. Um, And that was with Brendan and I trying to bootstrap together, just the two of us. Right. So we can actually focus. I think we can do some really, really impactful things. Did, did that level of support? I mean, I know. Look, we all like to be supported with, with what we're doing, right? Yeah. Did that impact your decision? Like, hey, maybe back is the right next step for me because you saw the level of support you were getting from the brokers, broker side. Yeah, I think so. I think it was part of it, right? I mean, we wanted to make sure there was even an avenue for this to exist, right? And once we knew that there was, um. I, I, we're amongst friends here, so we'll just like rip the bandaid off. Running an association is difficult. Um, it's hard. And I never, I never asked to be in the public eye. I mean, you remember from three years ago when I was like, yeah, they just kind of gave me this job and said, figure yeah. it out. So in it's fact, not- I remember in Tampa running into you and, and saying, Hey, this time I'll know how to answer your questions. Yeah, <laughs> literally. So like, it just, it's, it has been such a blessing and I'm incredibly grateful for it. I wouldn't change it, but it's also not the thing that I ever sought out to do for my mm. career as, as a human. And it's not the area that I get the most value and validation, right? I love doing things that I feel like make a meaningful difference in other people's lives. That's always been my focus. My closest friends and colleagues will tell you like my personal mission statement has always been help people, help more people. I will continue to do work throughout my career that comes Mm -hmm. back to that and always puts me in a position to help the widest number of people possible and to help those people go help as many more people as they can. And I feel like for where we're at and what I'm able to influence and impact right now, my time is also better served working in the advocacy space than it is in the association leadership and management side. And I think there are a lot of people who are qualified to lead an association. Um, I think there are less people with the experience that we've been able to build over the last couple of years in DC. Um, and I think that's where I can have the widest influence of good, if you will. Um, so it's it. I mean, knowing that there are going to be people who you're not the only one out there trying to fight the good fight, right? There's lots of other folks that want to fight alongside us and want to make a difference. Um, and they're clamoring for the opportunity to do so. And I get to build a stage for them to all speak on and tell stories from. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is. That's awesome. So Katie, we talked about this before the show. Let's talk about this for a second, right? Yeah. I, I don't want to not, not have this brought up. Let's do it. Negative stuff talked about aim, right? Yeah. Um, and not coming from, not coming from retail guys. No, right? no, coming no. From within the broker channel, right? Yeah. Um, and um, some of the quotes that I, that I saw this morning, you know, getting ready for the show was like, okay, what, what's going on here? Like, why this negative, like, I guess, overture towards AIM from within? Yeah. Um, and one gentleman was talking about the bylaws aren't available to us. This happens, that happens. Um, obviously, look, UWM and the lawsuit that, that was announced this morning, last few days, that's been, been a negative sore point. Yep. So there, 
like aim is not without i know you're you're you're, you're exiting towards back and i, I want to i want to respect that right yeah. but until april 1st you're still the ceo <laughs> i'm not the ceo i'm the chairman, chairman, chairman right, right, right. yeah Sorry. i'm the chairman right. yes i'm still involved yeah and these these uh comments work under your leadership so i mean i think it's fair that we talk about it because yeah. i think when there's good, there's always bad. That's just part of part of life. And there's okay yeah. with that. I'm like, you know, what I mean, I, I I'm okay with that, right? Yep. How is that impacting AIM's future when 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 the members are not not, I guess, as enthralled with AIM and the way it's being run? Is that the right yeah. way to say that? So I think there's a couple things to clarify. First, like every broker in wholesale is not a member of AIM. So there are a lot of people with opinions and they deserve to have them. Um, not every one of them is also a member of the association. So I do think we have to remember our job is to represent our members first um, and to make sure that we're serving them in the best way possible. That said, mm -hmm. I don't disagree with the call for accountability. I don't. There's a lot of things that I've been able to change over the last few years. A lot of things that I'm really proud of that have changed with how the community runs, with the behavior that's expected, with the code of conduct and the code of ethics and all of that. Um, there are certain things that I don't have the ability to change unilaterally and probably shouldn't, but mm -hmm. it also requires a group beyond just me to agree with moving the association forward. Um, and I'm hopeful that in this window of time, these next couple of months where we have multiple members of the board now that we can make some of the changes that I've wanted to make for quite some time. So I hope that I want people to know we hear you. I hear you. I agree with a lot of the things that are out there in the sentiment for more accountability in the space. And there is a difference in running a group that's three or 4,000 people and running a group that's 60,000 plus, right? There's a lot more opinions involved now. It is harder to make change quickly because we have to consider a wider variety of perspectives. Um, and sometimes the loudest voices are not the ones that are going to agree with our decisions. And we have to be okay with that. But at the same time, I think each of those people would tell you that I've had conversations with them. I've reached out to a lot of them personally to try to understand where they're coming from and what they'd like to see, not mm -hmm. just now, but over the last few years, right? These are not new discussions. Is AIM run democratically or is it run more like one or two people? Uh, no, it's more like one or two people. So the bylaws were written in 2018. Um, and those are the bylaws that we still operate under. So Got they're it. not, I inherited the rules, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to play by the rules to the best of my ability. Um, that's also not a popular opinion in wholesale when everyone runs their own business and can make decisions for themselves. And I that's fully respect point. that. That's a great point. Yeah. Right. And so I get, I, I get it. This is not necessarily a group of people that like being told what to do or how to operate, but at the same time, um, I have responsibilities across the board in being in this position. I think that's something that most people would, even if they don't agree with how I've done things, I think people can respect the fact that there are a lot of opinions that play into the decisions that are being made. And every decision has always been made with the best interest of the association in mind. And I think that will continue going forward. I hope that it will. Um, but I think it's also something we have to be aware to call for me to unilaterally change things that you don't like also means that you have to be okay with me unilaterally changing things that you do like or doing things differently. And people are often okay to say, why don't you just change it? But not okay if I were to make a decision that they don't agree with because yeah. I didn't consider all perspectives. There's a balance, right? You have to, you have to have other voices in the room and other people at the table. 
And I've tried really hard to do that and bring as many people to the table as possible. But there are certain things that we have to follow the rules as they're written. Um, and I don't like the rules any more than anybody else does. Trust me. I have like. So I, this goes I back to something I said to you on the last time you were on, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I watched that interview before you showed up here. I really am glad because we were talking about, you were talking about how you had 30, I think you were 30,000 at that time, right? Yeah. And I was yeah. like, yeah, crazy nut job maniacs. So that's what I used. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, but lovable maniacs. Lovable, lovable maniacs. maniacs. They really are. And that's where like, I, I think because there's more conversations happening right now, it's easy to assume that they're all bad. But so much of this is just feedback. It's looking mm -hmm. in a mirror and saying, okay, is this reality? Is this somebody, is somebody either not understanding the information or they don't have enough of it to form the opinion? Is it true? And is this something that we need to be considering? And how do we move this all forward in a way that winds up better than what it is today or what it was a year ago or what it was three years ago. And while I, I will say until I'm blue in the face, a public role has never been my goal for my career. I've never wanted to be in a public place. Mm. I also think there is a lot to be said about leading with as much grace as possible and being willing to listen to dissenting opinions and being willing to consider people's perspectives that may be different than yours. Um, and that means that I can't make a change in 24 hours, but that I'm committed to making changes that benefit the largest group of people. Yeah. Um, and the you largest know, group of people. A leader. It's all you can yeah. do as a leader. I mean, there's, yeah. there, there, there's nothing more to this, I mean, than, than that. I mean, quite honestly, think about this. Even, even mom and dad with two kids. Exactly. Right. Or just two kids, right? You're going to make one kid happy and the other one not happy. Yeah. Because you cooked his favorite food and not her favorite food. Exactly. It happens, right? But yeah. your goal is to feed your kids, right? And right. so as long as they're fed, you know that you did the best thing that you could do that day. Right. Um, I really, I have so much respect for people who are willing to speak their mind and to hold us accountable. I have more respect for people who do that in a kind way than some folks that like to, you know, hurl insinuations or make... Sure. Um, make assumptions about how things work without having all the information. Um, I've never not been willing to share. So if there's, if there are people out there who've said, well, we don't have the answers. Did you ask the question? Hmm. Um, Cause I, I'll, I'll answer anybody's question. Um, now I'm going to answer questions for the back going forward. Right. That's where right. I'm going to focus my, my energy and my effort. And I think, like I said, I think that's where we can do the most good right now, but I think change is also just really hard for people. And there's a lot of change right now. Um, I mean, it's turning over. Neurological, neurological thing in, in our brain yeah. that actually fights. Seriously, I mean, I've been yeah. studying this now for the last three, four years, right? And the brain literally says, I don't want to spend my calories learning something new because we have a limited amount of calories. So I don't want to. And so the brain is literally fighting you to change. And so whenever there's change, the people freak out. So, but listen. Last question for you, Katie, as we're, yeah. not, we're limited yeah. on time here. You're stepping into this new role, right? And I know I've said this before, and I've said it publicly. I've said it behind your back, by the way. Okay? <laughs> I said, if Katie Sweeney's selling it, I'm buying it. <laughs> and I'm not joking when I tell you that. I mean, if, if I could go back 30 years ago, maybe I'd be a broker. I don't know. I mean, it's too late for me. But <laughs> you're stepping into this new role, right? Yeah. What's your vision for the future back? I mean, how do you see it shaping the industry? Because you got, I mean, you seem to be talking more like a broader mortgage industry and not really the, where I saw you three years ago. You seem yeah. to be looking at a bigger, bigger vision this time. Yeah, I think um, 
I think I've learned a lot about the kinds of people that exist in the wholesale space and the, and really I want to say local originators in general, right? There's a difference between a local originator and somebody who works in a call center, not good or bad. I'm not playing either side, but local LOs, whether you work for a credit union or a retail lender or a broker, a local originator, um, they're often a lot of very similar personalities and they're people who care about trying to get people into homes. And I, I am, I have a lot of concerns about the industry's lack of willingness to call out its flaws and to address them head on and to make change. And I am certainly not approaching this trying to create a lot of enemies, but I think there is something to be said for taking a look around and saying, okay, homeownership is not going the direction that we want it to go. As an industry, if people aren't buying houses, we don't exist, right? I mean, their mortgages right. aren't being written. There's no LOs. There's, I mean, a lot of these companies start to be impacted very significantly um, and there's a group of people that want to buy and are being told no or aren't being given the resources to figure out how or are being treated differently. And it doesn't make sense. Um, I am a smack dab in the middle of millennials, right? I'm 33 and I have seen so many of my friends still not buy homes and have no intention of buying a home because they don't think that it's possible for them mm. anymore. And then my brother is on the cusp of Gen Z. He's 25 and so he and his friends are looking at it saying, oh, it's never going to be a thing. Like, we're not even planning to buy yeah. houses because why bother? We have two generations that are supposed to be funneling into where homeownership and where the mortgage industry goes in the future. And both have already decided this isn't even something for us to consider anymore because it's not available to us or it's not accessible to our peers. We have a we have an issue and we need to fix that. And we need to fix it fast um, because this is... if. If that trend continues and it hits a third generation of people, homeownership with how we think about it and how the industry works is dead. It doesn't it doesn't move forward anymore. If the idea of the American dream dies and it no longer has anything to do with purchasing property or investing in a home to build wealth and it shifts to other wealth creation avenues, mm -hmm. then you lost the audience for good. Mm -hmm. um, and I do feel like there is just there is a lot of advocating on behalf of the industry and not advocating on behalf of who the industry is supposed to serve. And that's where I think we can make a difference with the back. Um, yeah. We have our you know broader broker action coalition. We also have our military action group that is focused on veteran specific lending initiatives. Um, we're launching a program in a couple of months with in partnership with a few other um, veteran advocacy groups out there that will focus on um, policy proposals from homelessness to homeownership and how do we address the gamut and really think about the person that's buying the house and not the process of buying the house. Um, and what are things that we're not doing and haven't considered that we can be. And I think there's a greater calling for that. And I think that something that most of the industry will be receptive to if done the right way, right? I'm not going to start finger pointing right away and saying, you're not doing enough. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. Yeah. But if have these collaborative conversations and we can sit down where we're hosting a black homeownership roundtable in the first quarter. We've got a couple of members of Congress that are coming. We're talking through bills that specifically impact the black community in um, Atlanta and Detroit and a few other regions across the country. Um, and in doing so, the goal is to invite 15 or 20 people that are from these communities to say, okay, what's really needed and why don't we have it? And how do we go get it? Right? Let's not call people out for things that haven't been done in the past, but let's bring people together and call to action to create 
greater good going forward. And I think having a coalition and a group that just focuses on that, that can help bring people together and connect the dots and say, you guys are doing great work over here. How do we apply it to this group over mm. here? And how do we take these ideas that worked in this region and get them over to this region? Um, and that's our goal. We just want to be, we want to be the middlemen to help connect people who are doing great things and make sure that we're doing them nationally and not just locally um, and finding ways to create some, some influence that will last. Um, but it is. It, yeah. I mean, look, I think you're, you're on the right track. I mean, you got to move forward. You can't blame and can't look backwards. Yeah. I mean, that's already happened. So, yeah, exactly. But, but Katie, we are, we are coming up on the end here. So, I mean, I'm going to take you out with your favorite on, buddy. <laughs> Do you know the words? They have, this song has words. Like I know, my sure does. Do they play this at your games? They don't play this at our games. They don't play it at the game. Why? They probably Honestly, what happened? Not. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Katie, thank you for being on the show. Well, Honestly, you, you you know how much I I mean. I know I'm not a broker, and I don't say that with anything you know, no regret or whatever. It is what it is, right? Yeah. I, I'm always amazed at what you've done in the in the three years. I think you guys have done an amazing work. Obviously, there's some bumps along the way. No big yeah. deal. It happens to all of us. Um, but I wish you continued success, buddy. You know that. And I, it's easier to wish you success than it is the Dallas Cowboys. I cannot wish it. I will not wish the Dallas Cowboys any success. I will take it. <laughs> so, buddy, thank you for being on here, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you. 45, 45. Looks like Tom Duncan. <laughs> Sounds like. Must be a duck. <laughs> The girls are the best. <laughs> yeah. What? What? The bunny ears are back. Oh, shit. <laughs>